What is up, internets? Welcome to the Devil's Advocate, episode 56. I actually looked this time. All right, everyone, this week on the show, we have a returning guest, Wim Demir. Wim is legendary in the industry. He's written a bunch of books, a whole bunch of things. We'll get to Wim in a second because this part of the intro is exceptionally important when I have a guy of Wim's caliber. This is the devil's advocate for self-defense. This might be the first time you're seeing the show because you're a fan of Wim and you have no idea who I am. So it's very important for me to uh, lay out the foundation of what this show is. This podcast is a debate-based format where we pick a topic, self-defense or martial arts related. We each pick a side of that topic and then we debate that topic for you, the listener. We do the free portion of this, 20 minutes long is the debate here free of charge, enjoy, share, subscribe, like all the things the internet says to do. And then after that, we're going to jump to a final thoughts portion where we actually discuss the topic, not just debating our point. So the debate works like this. Number one is a debate, not an argument. So we're going to have a civil discussion on the internet. I know it's unheard of, but we can do it. This is episode 56. We've done it a couple of times. During this, we will be debating just our point, not our actual thoughts on the topic, but our point in general. So I, as the devil's advocate, will always take the opposite side of the person that I'm debating. So when we tell you what the topic is, Wim will pick his side, and I, by default, will take the other side, no matter what I think. This is very important for some topics. I don't come across great in like, for example, should we teach boys not to rape or women, right? Ah, I don't come across great in that one because of the devil's advocate side. So remember, my part to play is being the devil's advocate for the topic. Um, there's a few rules for the show. It's pretty simple. Number one, we start as friends, we leave as friends. Uh, I know Wim digitally, we've never met in person yet, but if I'm ever allowed to get back over, if the border's ever open, I'm gonna meet Wim for sure. Miller and I are planning a trip to Europe anyways for a rand Rory. So maybe we'll come and say hi. We want to stay friends. There's no point in getting this debate and then losing friends. I'll have no other guests. It's not going to work out. Number two is there's 15 logic fallacies sent ahead of time. I sent them to Wim before. He didn't get them this time because I guess on my end, my email doesn't like his email. But we've done this before and Wim's a very logical guy. If we get caught in a logic fallacy and we cannot debate our way out of it, you have to take a page out of Rory Miller's book, Conflict Communication. Take a deep breath, say, sorry, you caught me in a logic fallacy, and then allow the person to take over, giving them more time to talk in the 20 minutes. An example of a logic fallacy would be a red herring fallacy. Just totally throwing the conversation off topic into another area would be considered a red herring. Straw man is attacking argument that's not coming up. And the one that we really try to avoid is circular logic we just keep coming back to the same point. The 15 logic fallacies we picked were picked to make the conversation continue. There are more than 15 logic fallacies. Somebody was like, you know, there's more than 15. Yeah, I know. We just picked these 15. So we keep the convo going. So before we go any farther, you now know the format of the show. Wim, why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself? Sure. So my name is Wim de Meere. I am uh, unfortunately Belgian. I'm not an American. So that means that I, I started with a handicap in life. Uh, Dr. Evil knows all about that. Uh, for those who get the joke, it's funny. Anyway, I've been uh, teaching and training in martial arts for a long time, over 35 years now, I've written a bunch of books, a bunch of instructional videos back in the day with Paladin Press uh, and, and obviously by myself as well. I run what many people know me from, my blog, wimsblog.com. It's uh, a blog that's been in its infancy. It started 20 years ago. 
So a lot of writing there. I've got my own podcast, a bunch of stuff. I've got my Patreon that is in its fifth year now. And we've got well over 300 videos up there already. So it's like the, the largest portion of my work nowadays is on Patreon. Uh, and it's only there. You can't find it anywhere else. So that's a, that's a lot of fun. I'm just a guy who's very much obsessed uh, in, in my own good way, in my opinion, uh, when it comes to teaching, training, uh, martial arts, self-defense, violence, uh, violence in society, and so on. And over the years, I've, I've just tried to, you know, give my point of view. And obviously, while I'm doing that, have the, okay, the, the good fortune to talk to other people who also have uh, really good, interesting insights and points of view. And then hopefully, you know, everybody gets lifted up to a place where things get, actually get better as opposed to worse. So that's pretty much it. That's that's always the goal. I think like, uh, so one of my favorite quotes is a rising tide raises all ships, right? Yep. So if we can all get better and do better, then hopefully the world does better. All right. So as I mentioned earlier, we're having a 20-minute debate. Uh, if you see me looking down right now, it's because I'm setting up my phone for 20 minutes. We are, the, the debate topic we're going over is to tie into one of your books, actually. So you did book one and you're doing a second book, I believe, on it, which um, is uh, Boxing for Self-Defense, correct? Yeah, there's, there's going to be four books in total. Oh, if, uh, if COVID hadn't happened, uh, we'd already be uh, with book number three published. COVID did happen and as I'm self-employed, I was all of a sudden not allowed to work anymore. So I had to completely rearrange my business right. and start new business. I'm running five businesses at the time, at this uh, point in time, uh, all by myself. So uh, that's why the writing is slower. But I did write Boxing for Self-Defense. That's a book of the heart, as one of my teachers would, would like to call it. Always wanted to write that. Huge fan of boxing. And um, that is at the basics yep. of how you can use Boxing for Self-Defense. And then the following books will... Uh, expand upon that in awesome. massive detail excited so i have the first book that's why i picked this topic so the topic if you agree is is boxing good for self-defense yes yeah that's my position <laughs> and that is your position so your position is yes it is good for self-defense so by default i am taking the devil's advocate side saying it is not good for self-defense and again if you want my actual thoughts on this which who knows jump onto patreon check it out so Wim, you have i'm going to start the clock right away here you have up to four minutes to set up the debate, and then we will go from there. Are you ready? Yes. Go. Okay, so I'm going to try to keep this relatively short and sweet. Um, it is my position that there's a reason why we call it the noble art of self-defense, originally historically, which meant that there was a time, which might sound very strange to a lot of people now, that a gentleman was supposed to be able to defend himself, his lady, his family, and so on, and in the West, that meant in many places, that meant studying boxing, amongst other things. So I would say that there is historical precedent to begin with that is well established, that it's not just me talking. We can find plenty of uh, sources confirming that. And throughout time, boxing became more of a sport, but that doesn't by definition mean that it would be impossible to use it for self-offense either. So I think that boxing has... Um, the most important tools it needs to give you a, a good skill set that you can use in a self-defense situation. That's it. Awesome. So I have to obviously take the opposite side of this. Um, I'm going to be basing most of my debate off of uh, boxing injuries, 
changes in the social structure of fighting in general, people not following gentlemanly rules, uh, and also just the availability of tools that they have, which is limiting. So I do not believe boxing is great for self-defense. And the reasons are, like I said, number one, uh, I mean, for the show, everybody don't, I guess, you know what, hate my comments. It still helps the algorithm. Um, for boxing, uh, I think that number one, people's hands are exceptionally weak now. Uh, using a modern time snapshot, maybe back when it was the noble art. I've never heard that before, by the way. Uh, back before when it was noble arts, uh, people had stronger hands. I don't know, maybe they were working harder, but people's hands break all the time. So in a self-defense situation, while people can fight with broken hands, that takes some grit. Uh, I don't think a lot of people have that anymore. Number two, just the social change in violence, right? Like with MMA becoming so prevalent with takedowns, with kicks, with uh, elbows and knees, all the other options, it definitely isn't as functional as it might have been what at one time. Wim. Um, I'll, I'll tackle the first one. So sure. uh, fists break all the time. Uh, I have the scars to prove that, that it does happen. Um, in my defense, I was doing it wrong. <laughs> I was punching something that you shouldn't punch, something sure. made out of very thick wood out of anger. So that is a really, a really bad idea. I learned that as a, as a young teenager, so that was a good lesson. But my point would be that um, if you systematically injure your hands in when you use boxing techniques, then there's something wrong with either your skeletal, skeletal structure, which can happen, and then it would be valid for pretty much anything you do with your skeleton. But at the same time, um, proper forming of the fist is critical. And proper use of technique is equally critical. And that includes using the five types of impact, which I've talked about in my book. And one of the keys that you'd see in earlier, and that I, by that I mean about hundred years old or longer boxing bouts is that they didn't necessarily turn it into that huge slugfest that we typically see now with, uh, for instance, heavyweight boxing, where the taping of the hands is done in such a way that it's, it almost turns your hands into a rock and then you've got big gloves made out of very modern materials, not the really old leather gloves that they had back in the day. And they, I would say, can make their fists indestructible, but the, the protective gear makes them get away with a lot of stuff that you can get away with using empty hands. Hmm. Now, that said, um, I would have the position that if you have proper punching technique, know how to make your fists properly, and use techniques correctly with a proper amount of force as opposed to everything all out, that the likelihood of getting injured is much lower. I have one of my videos online on YouTube is me showing how to punch with an improper fist in which I make the, the shaka fist and I'm punching like this with my fingers open on the heavy bag, really hard, nothing happens. So it is about proper technique. Now on the flip side of that, I will show you my beautiful scar that I have here on my wrist, which happened when I threw a really hard palm strike and basically almost fractured the scaphoid bone in my wrist. So the assumption that it's only the fist, the human fist, that is vulnerable to breaking under heavy impact when thrown incorrectly uh, when, with your techniques, that the palm strike, the open hand, for instance, uh, would, be, would be less susceptible to that. I think that is in my personal experience, but I also talked to my doctor about that uh, in the sense that um, I tried to, to understand why it happened. And he showed me how the angle and this and that and force. 
And that is an integral part of throwing a, de a decent palm strike is getting that angle right, which brings it back to proper technique, which I think is valid for both sides. Sure. Uh, so I was going to say Mike Tyson broke his hand in a street fight, but you already took the legs out of that with your last part. So that was very good. Um, I think now, uh, so anecdotal evidence, breaking of the palm, I still think that's, I believe that's less likely than breaking a fist in a fight because the name of that break is literally called a boxer's fracture. It was so common. They named it after the sport it happened. in. So I don't know if that's anecdotal as well. I didn't check it out. Maybe I'll have to after this. The other thing I really want to pay attention to is I think under duress needs to be established. We're talking about self-defense. Under duress, things fall apart. So if the technique is so integral to throwing and not getting hurt, under stress, I don't think everybody have that access to it. So there might be better tools, elbows, knees, other things that will function better under stress that don't require the technical experience in order for them to function. That's a good point. I would counter that with that um, boxers actually train to function under stress. Mm -hmm. That is an integral part of the training uh, in, done in many, many different ways. For instance, in, in the drills, uh, hitting the focus mitts and so on, with the coach actually hitting you back and making you pay for your mistakes. Uh, and then sparring. Sparring isn't necessarily all-out sparring. Mm -hmm. You do have an opponent trying to, to land his shots on you. Typically in sparring, the, the hits to the body will be a little bit harder than the hits to the head. And even if you have the head gear, uh, it's still gonna, it's, it still won't be fun. So you learn to actually function with good technique, proper technique, under stress, under the kind of stress of somebody actually trying to knock your head off. And then if we add to that the competitive experience, in which the guy really wants to hurt you, uh, we get a lot closer to what an, an actual uh, confrontation will be. So you're working in increments up to... Um, having functioning techniques that are not necessarily you know, incredibly intricate, uh, intricate, sorry, but there is a there is uh, something important like having your fist formed correctly, having the alignment of distance formed correctly. That still matters, obviously. But you've been doing that for so long, and you've trained specifically to do that under increasingly stressful conditions. That I think it's it's by no means impossible to uh, to get that right. Basically, what you do is you specialize with this kind of technique using your fists in a violent encounter. Now, I would add to that that I understand the point you're making and I agree with, with it up to a point because um, indeed, under stress, a lot of things break down, but you can actually train for that. Mm -hmm. For instance, there's not a single firearms expert, soldier, police officer, and so on, who is born with this innate ability to control his trigger finger. <laughs> you will hear firearms instructors go on ad nauseum about the exact correct way to use your, your little finger here to pull the trigger correctly, to don't yank it, don't do this, don't do that, and so on. That is some of the finest motor control stuff that we can talk about. And they can pull that off in the most extreme circumstances where somebody's actually trying to shoot you dead. So if something as difficult as that is possible, and they're proving it, I think it's not impossible to assume that something way less intricate, like making a proper fist and punching with it, is also possible. I have two points with that. Three things I want to talk about. Number one, all of the ways you describe people to build up their pressure test, 
goes back to the problem of them having gloves and wraps though. They're not doing that empty handed with no protection. So they can default back to the hand of stone, bad technique, Mike Tyson breaking his hand situation. I don't see box because like the first part of the debate was the proper structure of the hand and how, you know, the, the, the brawly sport boxing stuff takes that away. That is how you go through boxing. When you're hitting pads, you're wearing gloves. When you are sparring, you're wearing gloves. When you are competing, you're wearing gloves, right? Mm, not necessarily. Uh, there's, there's also, uh, uh, let's say, a range of, of different possibilities there. For instance, um, on the heavy bag, you would use bag gloves that are much, much thinner. Yeah. You wouldn't necessarily wrap your hands. Uh, it's only when you're going to do extensive, really hard punching and you're going to do it with a partner that you don't want to injure that then you, you wear big soft gloves that will dissipate the impact. Now, that said, um, that is not the only thing that if you train boxing for self-defense that, that you should do, then you will also work empty-handed, I'm sorry, with, with, with bare, bare hands so that you actually feel all the different nuances of this is how I draw a punch bare knuckled. This is how it feels with uh, the bag gloves. This is what it feels like with a uh, 12 ounce or 14 ounce glove. And this is what it feels like when I have it fully taped professionally in a professional glove and so on. So that it's a range of experiences where in which you, um, you try to maintain proper form throughout the increasing levels of intensity. And then we have the, the added uh, reason for all that protective gear is obviously not necessarily just to avoid injury for yourself, but mainly to avoid injury with the partner. Right. The partner, partner you're sparring with, because unless it's um, a fight to the death, which we hope nobody ever has to do, right. uh, then you don't care about the other partner. Whereas in training and even in competition, the goal is to beat the opponent, but not to kill him. Mm -hmm. So I think then, though, uh, with that, th the way you stated the, the hierarchy of learning how to punch is an outlier. That is not how it's normally done in boxing gyms. There's very few boxing gyms doing that, right? I don't know. That's how I learned. <laughs> Fair enough. You know what? We can leave that there. That's good. I don't think so. The other thing I'd like to say, there's a false comparison to your trigger pull analogy. And the reason why is all they have to concentrate on is the trigger pull and the person shooting. If they're not getting hit, they're moving. In boxing, you're getting impacted, you're closer. There's a lot more things going on to overwhelm you. So I think it's easier to get a higher level of this in a gun fight than there is to get that in a fist fight because of the range. Um, I, I, I don't necessarily agree with that. Sure. Um, so I think that my, my line of thinking was more of that the extreme control of your trigger finger that a lot of instructors, um, firearms instructors, uh, want to have their students uh, yeah. get is 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 at the very end of very fine motor skill in my opinion agreed yeah it's a pretty that's pretty fine motor skill. Yeah, yeah. whereas throwing a punch closing your fist i would say that that's not really even fine motor skill you're not using your fingers you're just closing them yeah and then you're, you're striking so i would say that's pretty far already removed from from fine motor skill okay there's there's um so there's that that point uh first the other thing is that depending on, on what kind of violence you're getting into with your firearm, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, there's going to be a lot of stuff going on. That's true. You might you might run into stuff. You might trip and fall. You might get people in the way. You might have to disengage. You might have you might actually get hit and have to keep on shooting, which is a lot of the training is focused on that. So always staying in the fight, never giving up, and so on. Right. And even in training, uh, you will. Uh, depending on the quality of your firearms instructor, they will mess you up (laughs) pretty bad. They will beat you. They will make you lose balance. They will uh, spin you around until you're you're all dizzy and stuff. And then if you follow some of uh, our our Russian friends, they will actually have live people standing next uh, to the targets and then shooting a live live round next to your head uh, as they push and pull you and you have to make good decisions. So that's fair. I I think the training... Oh, go ahead, sorry. No, okay. no, you go. The training number, so the training, the numbers are being replicated in the real world though, right? Like, yeah, they're putting off a training, but people are hitting like within six feet, 33% of the time. Like, I don't know, like I said, that's why I think it's a false comparison. I don't think it works very well because boxers are still hitting, right? At a higher copy box numbers than the gun people are. And I don't think, I think they get this on the range and they're hitting that like, all targets but in real life they're hitting like 33 percent of the time in a couple of feet it's not great oh no no no, that's a fair point uh for me it's more about uh, comparing training methodologies and and the point of the point you made was that um under stress things break down and my point was more along the lines of that well you can actually counter that and boxing does that so do many other um fighting arts or systems uh, especially when there's weapons involved where uh, very often it's no longer gross motor skill right uh and then that uh you you actually get to i wouldn't necessarily say fine motor say fine motor skill but uh it doesn't necessarily break down and the aspect that that layers on top of that is that especially in boxing because in training even in poor training you're going to end up in the ring with somebody right get experience actually using your technique Whereas, for instance, in firearms or uh, edged weapons, you rarely get real experience with uh, the techniques. If, if that's what you're getting, you've got a really funky trainer. Yeah, I agree. Really get, with you. get out of there. So <laughs> I don't want to be too much on this point because we're almost right having ourselves as a team. So let's move on to the last. We have four minutes left for the debate. Uh, oh. the, the prevalence of longer range arts becoming more popular, the kickers, the, the people who are shutting down, like, I, and again, this moment in time when boxing was big, people just boxed. That was like the social rules. In my opinion, the rules are different. Now everybody's kicking and grabbing and holding hands and, and, and grappling and all these different arts are, are shutting boxing down because, uh, did, I think Dan Inosanto said it right. The only person who's in danger is the person with the ball in football, right? In American football. Right. So the guy with the ball who's running is the only person in danger on the field. Boxing was the guy with the football for a very long time. So every other art started finding ways to shut it down. So do you think, I don't think, sorry, not do you think, it's not an interview. I don't think, debate time, that it is as prevalent when you have like a tie box with more tools and longer ranges, or even a Kyokushin guy or somebody who is, who has a much longer skill set if they can control the range with well, I think that it, it boils down to the person, mm-hmm. to to the two people facing off and, and uh, how skilled are they. Right. Uh, I, I think it makes sense when you look at boxing is that, yes, there are limitations. There's no kicking and there's no, no groundwork and so on. So I will immediately admit to that. Um, I would say that the boxer will have his hand techniques to a level uh, typically far beyond what 
the Muay Thai or MMA guy has because he specializes in that. Sure. His level of expertise in striking with his, with his fists will be much, much higher, typically on average, I would say. Right. Um, what I found when you, especially when you watch many uh, Muay Thai and MMA fights, and in particular MMA, because that's, in my opinion, has become like the de facto standard, what the younger generation thinks uh, a fight should look like. Mm-hmm. Um, we can see that hyper-specialized fighters actually often do quite well. And I'll give you an example of Khabib Nurmagomedov, right, yes. who was by far not a good striker. He became better over his career, but look at his early early fights. The right. Khabib uh, eagle <laughs> punch, uh, that, that was like this, this really funky thing. Um, his kicking technique was never all that awesome, no. but he was an amazing grappler. He was exceptional. Uh, he's retired, maybe he comes back, but that was an example of somebody doing what something what people would think like, well, you know, if you can't box, you can't do stand-up, you're not going to get it far. Right. The other end of that scale is Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, who unfortunately is getting a little bit older and has, is having a hard time. But he would fight like Bill Wallace in a side horse stance using yeah. mainly long-range kicking techniques, the, the, the flashy, flippy-floppy, uh, whiplash kicking techniques that we, we saw in karate. A lot of people said that would never work. Right. And he knocked people out left and right with that. So I think it's it depends on the the two people involved. And I would I think that it's by far not unrealistic to to think that the guy specializing in striking has uh, a good shot at defending himself against a guy who has more tools. Because we have to remember that in in a large amount of cases, and I think that is fair to say that the fight doesn't start from you know. Uh, jumping kick range. It starts close. I agree. Boxers are used to fighting close, mid-range, long range. Right. And are really quick on their feet, typically. Agreed. Can you name a boxer who was successful at MMA? Um, not top of my head. I know James Tony got, got uh, pretty much beat up by Randy Couture, if I'm not mistaken. He was a little bit over, over the hill. Sure, yeah, he, fair enough. Yeah, he, yeah. He did train. So let's say let's say that, but I'm I'm thinking I, if I'm not mistaken, Conor McGregor started as a boxer. Right. That he didn't he didn't uh, start as a, like full on MMA. I could be wrong about sure. that. But if I'm right about that, I think that's a pretty good example of somebody who reached the highest levels. And I, and, I agree. And then I added added obviously the other tools to his skills. Obviously. There's, so that was like the final point I want to make. We have 30 seconds left if you want to do a closing statement. But join me for final thoughts because the thing I just said, I'm going to counter in like two seconds, the first five minutes of why there's not a high-level boxer in MMA. I'll tell you immediately. It's just a logic thing. You'll figure it out. Uh, Wim, do you have any final thoughts on this topic? Uh, no, this was, this was fun. This was super <laughs> was fun. Good, I love these It was a good time. So, uh, again, this was the debate. That's the end of the free show. Thank you so much for doing this. Now, I know there's a couple of issues with this show. Number one. It's not an interview show. You got to think. I know that sucks. Uh, number two is people don't want to come on the show because they think it's scary. It's not scary. I'm not a debate champ. I just think this is a more interesting way to get information out. And I can't stress this is episode 56, 55 debates and one explainer. This show has actually changed my point of view on a lot of things. Uh, not this one, because uh, you'll hear what I talk about in uh, the next one, but in a lot of things. Uh, so join us on Patreon for final thoughts if you want to hear me literally destroy my own art last argument immediately. Uh, and also hear what we actually think on this. You might be shocked. Um, $5 level. There's obviously other levels. Check them out if you want to check them out. The only other thing I want to say before that win promote is we have a coaches level now. Um, there's a mistake in that. I'm going to rename it coaching, coaching the coach. 
people thought I was going to be certifying people. I don't certify people. I don't need to. There's enough certifications out there. This is literally just a, these are the books I read. We do a critical book club where we analyze books and pick out flaws. And I teach in my coaching style. If you like how I teach, that's a place to go. If you don't like how I teach, don't go there. Cause that's what we're talking about. Uh, Wim, why don't you tell the people where they can find you? Uh, if you look at my name, Wim de Meere, so that's D-E-M-E-R-E, -E, uh, you're going to find me in that all over the place. Um, the, I think the best place to start is my blog, wimsblog.com. Yeah. Uh, and you'll find all my social media there. I'm pretty much uh, over all over the place, basically. So um, if you want to get in touch, the easiest way is go to my Facebook page. Uh, Wim the Mayor page on, on Facebook. Um, I send me a message there and, and that's the easiest way to contact me. That's awesome. Uh, also, I wanted to comment your pronunciation of uh, Nergamenov. That was so good. I think you're the, you've said it the best out of everyone I've ever heard say. I was like, damn. Dude, I've, 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 I, well, I actually, I also have a podcast and a, and a website, yep. uh, mmaformula.com, which right. I talk about MMA because I'm also an MMA coach. Mm -hmm. uh, so I've actually practiced that. Makhomet uh, Sharipov is also one you have to be able to pronounce. Yeah, I'm not even going to try it. <laughs> All right, everyone. That's it for the free show. Check out Wim. He's awesome. Go to Belgium. Don't hold that against them. Uh, and we will uh, we'll talk to you all in a week. This should be Happy New Year if your New Year is Gregorian calendar style. Happy New Year if you're in that area. If not, if you're Ukrainian or Chinese or have another New Year, don't ignore this. That's not, I'm not talking to you. Um, and uh, this is our first show of 2022. There will be more shows. Uh, I'm definitely going to do at least 75 episodes. If there isn't a bump in the show, I'm probably going to change the format because I need to get this out to people. So I cannot stress if you like the show, share it, like it, subscribe, do all the things you need to do. There's certain metrics they need to hit to make this worth my time. Um, or I'm just going to put this, I'm going to do it, but I'm just going to put it behind Patreon. So whatever, if you want it for free, tell people about it. Every time I talk to them, I'm like, have you heard of my, I just literally did a podcast today. I did the fighter's mindset. And I'm like, oh, I have a podcast. Like, really? I'm like, how'd you even hear about me? Anyways, I'm done. <laughs> Share it. Happy New Year if that's your thing. And uh, join us on Final Thoughts.